0: semester, we are reading uh, the parables, and um, uh, these are stories that Jesus told, and what we've seen about the parables so far, can you, is it it feedbacking a little bit? Um, What we've seen about the parables so far is that Jesus tells stories um, in order to get to our hearts, that he tells these stories that end up doing this work in us uh, that, that upsets us, that makes us rethink God and how we connect with him. Um, and tonight we're going to read a, a parable from Matthew 20. Uh, it's a parable of grace. Um, commentators say this is one of the most difficult parables, uh, most disturbing parables, perhaps one of the most frustrating parables there is. Um, and so we're going we're to read this together. Um, this is printed on the back of your bulletin. You can turn there. or If you've got a Bible, you can open there. Um, this is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true, and it is given to us in love. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Um, Father, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you would help us. um, Help us to make sense of this. Help us to see um, your goodness and your grace in this. Help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, to cite my sources, I'm relying heavily on uh, a friend of mine, Matt Howell, um, for tonight. Um, so I say that commentators say that this is one of the um, most frustrating, most difficult, most disturbing parables. Now, why is that? Um, because this parable shows us that we actually hate grace. We hate grace. Um, You might be thinking, wait, wait, this is RUF. We talk about grace all the time. We love grace in RUF. That's all we ever talk about. How can we hate grace? Um, Well, this is my thesis for you tonight. Um, You hate grace, and I hate it too. Here's why we hate grace. Um, Between 1978 and 1991, in uh, the area around Milwaukee, 16 young men were drugged, raped, tortured, Murdered, dismembered, and some of their body parts were eaten by Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, If you're unfamiliar with Jeffrey Dahmer, he was one of the most notorious serial killers in American history. I wrote a paper about him um, in my psychology class in high school, and uh, the details of what he did um, are stomach churning, Uh, disgusting. And in 1991, he was caught, he was arrested, he was imprisoned. And then three years later, in prison, he was beaten to death by another inmate. But prior to his death, Jeffrey Dahmer repented of his sin. And he put his faith in Jesus. He actually became a voracious Bible reader. Um, A pastor would come to the prison once a week to meet with him. He became an assistant to the chaplain in the prison. He was baptized. Everyone that was new to him, everyone that he knew, and everyone that was close to him, said that his life had been transformed by the love of Jesus. And here's what that means. That means that on November 28th, 1994, when Jeffrey Dahmer was killed, he was welcomed into heaven. And the creator of the universe, God the Father, welcomed him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and I find you staggeringly beautiful. And when you work out the logic of this, this means that people who are not in Christ but have lived much better lives than Jeffrey Dahmer, will not receive that, go- that welcome. And this is why we hate grace. Dahmer did the most horrific things that one human can do to another. And for all we know, he is in heaven beholding the face of God in full and uninterrupted joy. Um, Sarah Silverman, who you're probably familiar with, is a, uh, a comedian. She has this YouTube clip, this stand-up bit she does, that's called Religion is Crazy. Um and want to read to you a little bit from what she what she says on that edited version of course this is what she says about christianity she says christianity is super old but it's effing crazy by being born you are a sinner and you're going to hell but you can just apologize and go to heaven no big deal if you're a murderer no big deal just apologize and go to heaven you can be hitler you can be hitler and go to confession and say father forgive me i killed 6 million jews and the priest will be like, "No problem. Just say ten Hail Marys." It's a joke. Um, and then Hitler goes to heaven. Took a little bit for that one to land. Um, That's her joke, not mine. I would never make that. that was, she made that joke. Um, so she's putting <laughs> she's putting words to what we feel deep down. To what we feel deep down. Um, we hate this idea. Um, Grace sounds insane to us and we think it out. And we all hate grace. Like, in humanity's hatred of grace is nothing new. And it's into this universal hatred of grace that Jesus tells this story. So I want to recap the the parable for us. So what Jesus says, he says, The kingdom of God is like a man who owned a huge estate. He owned this vineyard, and at 6 a.m. he goes out to the marketplace to hire some workers. (laughs) And this worked then the same way that it does now. Like if you were poor and unemployed, you would go to the marketplace and you would wait to be hired. And this was humiliating and it was terrifying. It's humiliating because you sit there and you wait for someone to hire you. Um, And it's terrifying because if no one hires you, I mean, you're standing in this wondering, am I going to be hired? If no one hires you, then you don't have any money to feed your family. Um, the workday was 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And the landowner goes out at 6 a.m. to hire workers. And he goes up to a crew of men and he says, I will pay you a denarius a day or denarius for this day. And a denarius is equivalent to one day's, um, one day's salary. So if the person's making $10 an hour working for 12 hours, it's like, I'm going to give you 120 bucks. Um, and the crew agrees to this. And then they head out to the vineyard happy. And they're happy because they know that they're going to make money that day. They're going to come home at the end of the workday, and they're going to have money that they can then use to buy food for their family. At 6 p.m., they're going to have $120 in their hand. Well, then at 9 a.m., the vineyard owner goes back out to the marketplace. He hires more guys, and he drives them back to the vineyard to work. And then he does this again at noon. He goes and hires some more people. And brings them back. And then he does it again at 3 p.m., goes out, hires more people, brings them back. And then he goes out at 5 p.m., when there's only one hour left in the day. It says in verse 6 that he goes up to the workers who are standing in the marketplace and he says, Why are you still standing here? And they reply, Because no one has hired us. So he hires them and he brings them back to the vineyard for one hour of work. And I want you to imagine um, what it would feel like to be these guys. When they arrive at the vineyard, they look around and they see all these other workers who've been there all day and um, they start talking with people as they're, they're picking the grapes and they realize that the 12-hour guys have agreed to get paid $120 for the day and they do the math and they realize well, that's only $10 an hour I'm only here for an hour I'm only making 10 um, bucks then at 6 p.m. the day is over and everyone lines up to get paid and the vineyard owner the landowner says to the foreman he says hey um." I want you to line them up, but I want you to pay the last people first. Um, I want you to reverse the order. And so the foreman calls them out. They step forward, and he hands them an envelope of cash. And you can imagine these people who've been there for an hour. They open the envelope. They look in it, and they feel, um, they feel six crisp $20 bills, and their jaws just drop. Their hearts melt. Their knees buckle. They just want to hug and kiss and embrace and thank the vineyard owner because they just got paid an entire day's wage for just one hour. They're absolutely blown away by his generosity. And now as these men walk away, I imagine um, that they couldn't help but talk about how much money they just got. And then the 12-hour guys, the 6 a.m. crew, they hear them. They overhear them. And then they start to do the math, too. Right, if these guys got $120 for one hour, then that means that we're going to get 12 times that. That's two weeks' pay. That's $1,440. And their hearts swell. And they, they start to congratulate each other. And so the foreman continues to hand out the envelopes to all the workers and until all that's left are the 12-hour guys, the 6 a.m. crew. And they step forward to get their envelopes. Their chests are full. They open the envelopes and look inside, and it's six crisp $20 bills. And their chests deflate. And we're told that they are livid. They are absolutely outraged. And this vitriol in their heart just comes pouring out. It says in verse 12, they start chewing out the landowner. They say, this is completely unfair. This is unjust. They only worked one hour. We worked 12 hours. We bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And you're going to pay us the same that you paid those slackers who only worked for like 15 minutes. What kind of employer are you? And then the landowner's response. He says, hang on. I agreed to pay you $120. I just gave you $120. Now, remind me what I've done wrong. Have I cheated you in any way? Am I not allowed to do what I want with my own money? Are you seriously upset because I am generous with to these other guys? And then the parable ends. And then Jesus leaves this ominous phrase hanging at the end. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And this parable shows us Um, it shows us a picture of God's scandalous, upsetting grace. And in it, Jesus shows us why grace bothers us so much. And it bothers us because it does three things. And this is what I want us to look at um, for just a few minutes. We see that grace wounds our pride, grace deconstructs our expectations, and finally that grace astounds us. So first, grace wounds our pride. Um, In this parable, the landowner goes back to the, uh, the marketplace again and again and again. Now, why does he do this? Well, you might be thinking um, maybe the first time he went is because he miscalculated. Like he he went out, he's like, oh, I don't have enough workers. The harvest is so large. I need to go out and get more guys. Um, But that doesn't make sense of why he would come again and he would come again. Um, He goes back four times. Why would he go back four times? Well, the only reason why he would return this many times is because he felt compassion for those who are unemployed. And he's hiring them not because he needs them. He's hiring them because they need it. He sees them in the marketplace. He sees that they are poor. He sees that every hour that passes is one less that they can work to feed their families. He sees that they feel humiliated because they can't provide for their families. At the end of the day, they're going to have to return home and say to their family, say to their wife and their children that they weren't able to earn any money. And so we're shown this generous landowner who sees these men in need, and he goes to them and he hires them for their benefit, not his own. And this is especially true for the last crew, right? They go for um, one hour. Like, one hour of work does not benefit the landowner very much. He's giving them wages that they don't deserve. He's hiring them because, not because he needs it, but because they do. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. You have a king who wants to take care of you. And his compassion extends to you even when you contribute nothing. Nothing. Even when you contribute nothing, and we hate that because that wounds our pride. I mean, especially in America, right? Our our cultural narrative is the only um, the only important people are the people who contribute. So pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. This is why people, when they pass by um, a homeless person, deep down in their heart, they resent them because they think these things in their heads, like get a job or. Um, They think that person's not valuable because they're not contributing anything, right? Y'all feel this here at Wake Forest. You are here at this school because you're in the 6 a.m. crew. Like y'all are 12-hour workers. You're here because you earned it. You got up first. You put in the work. You deserve to be here. You go to work forest. And this is why you're so crazy busy because you've been taught that you're only important when you're doing stuff. You are only valuable if you're contributing, student who graduated a few years ago liked to say, uh, his little joke was, how do you make a Wake Forest student anxious? Uh, you give him nothing to do. Yes. Right? Like that reveals that deep down, deep down you believe that you are only valuable if you are contributing, or at least if you think you're contributing. And in this parable, Jesus says that spiritually, you're the five o'clock crew. Spiritually, you are the one hour worker. You barely show up, you contribute nothing. And that deeply wounds our pride. Deeply wounds our pride. Flannery O'Connor, who was an uh, a author in the 20th century, she's famous for her, her short stories, she wrote this, she said, grace must wound before it can heal. Grace must wound before it can heal. We like the idea of grace. Um, God's unmerited favor. It sounds nice, it sounds sweet, But when you are on the end of receiving it, um, when you receive grace, it forces you to admit, I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. This is you saying, spiritually speaking, I am bankrupt. I'm on welfare. I am a charity case. I don't deserve to be here. Friends, but you will never understand the gospel. You will never connect with the God who created you until you are willing for grace to do the work of not only wounding your pride but killing your pride. So grace wounds your pride. And the second thing we see is that grace deconstructs our expectations. It deconstructs our expectations. If you were one of those 12-hour workers, if you were in the 6 a.m. crew, your expectations would have been that you would be compensated, not just in relation to the work that you did, but in relation to the other workers. Your expectation would be that you would be, a, you would be paid a wage that was 12 times what the one-hour worker was paid. So when the landowner asks these 12-hour workers, when he says, do I, um, do I have the right, don't I have the right to do whatever I want with my money? If we were there, our response would be no. Now you can't do whatever you want with your money. You have to be fair with it. And the landowner would reply, so I can't be generous and gracious with whomever I want to be gracious and generous with? And deep down, if we're honest... We'd say, no, no, you can't. You can't be generous and gracious with whoever you want. You cannot be generous and gracious with people like Jeffrey Dahmer. You can't be generous and gracious with pedophiles. You can't be gracious to Catholic bishops and Hollywood executives. We'd say, God, this is how it works. Here are our expectations. The good people are in and the bad people are out. And the good people are good people because they work hard and they make the right decisions. And the bad people are bad because they screwed up or because they didn't make good choices, or because they just don't work and they forfeited their right to any rewards. The good people are in and the bad people are out. And we're the good people. This is the way it works, God. You are not allowed to mess with this framework. And grace disrupts. It deconstructs our expectations here. This is why Sarah Silverman says that this thought is insane, that it's crazy. Now here's the thing, some of you might be thinking, I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm impatient sometimes, or I struggle with drinking, or I I don't make the best decisions all the time, but I'm generally a kind, nice, hardworking person, Um, and compared to Jeffrey Dahmer, compared to Hitler, like they're way on the other end of the spectrum. But when we're thinking like that, this is what we're thinking. We're thinking, God giving grace to me makes sense, and it's right. And God giving grace to those people doesn't make sense, and it's wrong. Because I'm clearly better. I've earned it. I deserve it. I haven't screwed up. Good people are in. Bad people are out. I'm a good person. And look how Jesus deals with this attitude in this parable. Like he will not abide it. The landowner is recklessly generous with the 11th hour workers. Grace deconstructs all of our expectations of what we deserve. Because grace is unmerited favor. It's not about what you merit. It's not about you earning. It's not about you being good. It's also not about you being bad. And like, frankly, that doesn't make any sense to us. Because in our hearts, we're saying, "Um, God, you owe me. I'm one of the good ones. Therefore, I'm entitled to some benefit, to some blessing. Because we're constantly keeping score in our heads, right? We're keeping score. We're expecting the good people to get rewarded, the bad people to get punished. Grace deconstructs our expectations. It just does not make sense. Grace isn't about what you've done. It is not about the score. In fact, it's not about you. And that's why we hate it. So how do we get to the place where we actually love it? How do we get to the place where we actually love grace? How do we get to the place where grace astounds us? Um, Where grace transforms us? I want to read to you a quote from Bono, who um, is the singer for U2. And he said this uh, in an interview years ago. He said, You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It is clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace, to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the, consequence, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And that's between me and God. But I would be in big trouble if karma was going to be the final judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own goodness. Remember what Flannery O'Connor said, grace must wound before it can heal. And what I'm trying to show you is that grace has a sharp edge to it. It will wound you if you let it. If you let it wound you, if you let it strip you and humble you, you will finally be in a position to let it heal you and to let it transform you, to astound you. One pastor said this, he said, if you're willing to admit about yourself, if you are willing to admit about yourself that you are in obedience-addicted Judgmental, scorekeeping, performance oriented, self validating approval addict. If you're willing to admit that about yourself, then you are in a position to let grace heal you. Let's say it again. If you are willing to admit about yourself that you are an obedience addicted, judgmental, scorekeeping, performance oriented, self validating approval addict, if you are willing to admit that about yourself, then you are in a position to let grace heal you. Before you might have been in heaven looking over at Jeffrey Dahmer, thinking, How in the world did he get in? But maybe now, should you be in, in heaven, you can look over at Jeffrey Dahmer and say, How in the world did I get in? How did an obedience addicted, judgmental, scorekeeping, performance oriented, self validating approval addict like me get in? Grace is shocking. The one hour workers are blown away because they're blown away by grace because they don't deserve it. So a question for you, does this, are you blown away by this as well? When you are willing to admit that I bring nothing to the table, when you can honestly say to God, I haven't earned anything, I don't deserve anything, I brought nothing to the table, nothing but my failure and my sin and my shame and my addictions, and you have lavished grace upon me. It's only when you're willing to admit that, when you let grace deconstruct and offend you and wound you, will you get to a spot where it will astonish you and transform you? So how does that happen? Well, look at the landowner in this parable. The craziest detail of the whole story is found in verse 8. We find that the, this, the whole time, this landowner had a foreman. Now, a foreman was somebody who would have overseen the entire operation of the vineyard. But here's this landowner, the CEO of the estate, driving into the market in his pickup truck, picking up crews back and forth, back and forth. Friends, CEO, um, estate owners did not get involved in this, at this level. By 9 a.m., this dude should have been um, on the golf course. like He should have been in a hammock with a drink, feet up, letting his foreman do the work. He should not have been going back and forth. Why is he involved? Because he wants to personally be involved in the work of Compassion. And while the 12-hour workers say, we've borne the heat of the day, the reason that they bore the heat of the day is because they had to. They had no choice. Their option for the day was work in the sun or starve to death. They had no choice. But do you know who else bore the heat of the day in the parable? The landowner. He was in the sun going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he didn't have to be. And when you look carefully at this landowner, you begin to see that this parable is a story about Jesus himself. That Jesus himself was with his Father in heaven, and he didn't have to leave. But he personally came down to take care of and show his compassion towards a group of people who couldn't take care of themselves. And he emptied his pockets. He was recklessly generous with his riches. He became poor so that we might become rich in him. And at the end of the day, it is Jesus giving us his riches. He is giving us everything. And what's astounding about this is that he lived his life with such perfection, such beauty, that his life is the only life that has ever earned or merited the blessing and favor of God. And yet on the cross, when he's receiving the punishment he didn't deserve, he didn't respond like the 12-hour workers. He didn't respond with bitterness or entitlement or vitriol. Instead, you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. He responded with grace. He said, take what I deserve, the glory and the righteousness and the blessing and the favor, and give it to them. Friends, grace is astounding. It will blow your mind. It will transform your life. When you put yourself in the position to say, I have brought nothing to the table. I have earned nothing. And yet, by the grace of Jesus, I get Everything. I deserve nothing but judgment, but because of grace, I get forgiveness and honor and glory in everything. Friends, when you do this, grace will transform you. The first are last because they feel like they worked harder than everyone else and they feel like they earned it. And the last are first because they realize they brought nothing to the table. So I just want to end with this question. Which one are you? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you tell stories, and um, Lord, we, if we're honest, we know, we say how hard this story is to hear, that um, your grace is offensive to us, um, and it's scandalous to us, um, and it is such good news to us. Well, I pray that you would help us to see not just the, the offense, but the beauty, to know ourselves as one who don't deserve um, your grace, but you give it to us freely in Jesus, um, and we thank you, and we pray in his name. Amen. If you all want to stand up, we're going to sing one more song.